Welcome everybody to the 24th episode of the Struggling Scientist podcast. This is a podcast by scientists, for scientists, anybody science adjacent, and perhaps even hobbyists. My name is Susanna, and I'm here with my co-host, Jiron. Hi. Today, we're doing a very interesting episode. We have two guests, Mandy and Jordi, and they are PhD advisors in our institute. So in the, the doctoral school of the Amsterdam UMC, the medical hospital in Amsterdam. And we're going to talk... Uh, with them about what it means to be a PhD advisor and any advice that they have for us. So um, let's start. Let's start with a little bit more about yourselves. We usually ask people to introduce themselves. So what would you like our listeners to know about you? Do you have any interesting hobbies? So shall I start? Uh, first of all, thank you so much for inviting us. Well, I actually am a bit embarrassed to admit that we kind of invited ourselves to your podcast, <laughs> but we're super happy that you were open to the idea and excited to have us as guests. Um, so yeah, in a nutshell about me. Uh, so I'm Mandy. On a daily basis, I like to practice mindfulness in my life. Um, also uh, trying to do a lot of yoga. And I tried to keep active. Uh, so I've also started some more unconventional sports like bungee moves and jumping moves. Don't know if you ever heard about those, but yeah, it's really a lot of fun. So I would really recommend you to do uh, and try that as well. I love singing uh, mainly in the bathroom, but I also started um, singing in the singing group. And yeah, and also um, I like to express myself uh, creatively by writing. I've written uh, some blogs over the years. Also, Jordi and I have started a PhD advisor blog that we post every month. Oh. Yeah, so that's really a lot of fun to do. And in a previous lifetime, I've written a, a novel. Wow. Um, and I'd like to, uh, to do so once again or try attempt to write a novel once again, once I'm uh, a little bit older and wiser. Oh, nice. And this PhD yes. advising blog, that's all from the doctoral school also, or is that the... Yes. Oh, okay. Yes. So it's from the doctoral school. Uh, we post it on our website. We post it on LinkedIn, so you can find it there. Okay. Well, we definitely look into that. <laughs> and then Jordi. Yeah, I guess it's uh, my turn now. Uh, I also want to, of course, thank you for having us today. My name is uh, Jordi and I come uh, from Barcelona originally, but I live in the Netherlands since 2008. So I guess I somehow Dutchified myself already. <laughs> um, and I have, yeah, perhaps less impressive uh, hobbies uh, than Mandy, but uh, I still, what I love to do is to learn new languages. Um, in fact, a couple of years ago, I studied sign, uh, Dutch sign language, actually. Oh. And uh, I also enjoy, uh, maybe it's connected to the language uh, thing. I also enjoy writing poems and fiction. And it's something that I recommend to, I would recommend to everyone writing, even though if you think that you are not good at it. And the reason is because virtually impossible to decouple your own personal stories, feelings to the from the stories that you write. And therefore, it's a very good technique to see what happens in your lives and what go goes on in your life from another perspective. So in a way, you can look more objectively at what goes on with you. So it's a good uh, reflection moment that I have when I write. And I also uh, like to run. So I uh, run the uh, recently, well, last uh, October, the Amsterdam Health Marathon. And I know that uh, Jaron uh, ran the full one. So maybe that's not going to be my, uh, yeah, my next goal for, for this year. Nice. Yes, very nice. Did you listen to our episode about marathon running? 
Uh, I must admit that I listened to the um, uh, the one about uh, bottom breathing, politely, <laughs> but not the one about marathon. So I guess that's going to be my next one when preparing for the the marathon. Well, maybe don't uh, then, because the uh, the message is that not healthy. So <laughs> okay, well then still it's worth uh, maybe listening to it to to make make my final decision about it. Yes. <laughs> yes. Jaron still did it anyway, so you I already know. signed up. <laughs> <laughs> and he still looks healthy and fine. So <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Okay, so let's move on to maybe the next question. Then um, you've told us a little bit about yourselves, but what's exactly your origin stories? How what led you to want to become PhD advisors and help coach PhD students? And maybe let's start with uh, Jordi. Sure. Um, well, I must say that um, before uh, my current uh, function as PhD advisor, my career, my past career has been always in uh, scientific settings. So after I graduated as a chemist, um, I was very driven to, to pursue a, a career in academia as a scientist or as a researcher. So, of course, I've also did a PhD myself in, in uh, biochemistry. Uh, I did afterwards three years of uh, research as postdoc, more in the field of uh, biophysics. And I've also been in, uh, in a biotech company as an application scientist afterwards. But at some point, I guess I realized that the, the common denominator here was not the science, but the scientist and mm -hmm. or people in general. So that's when I was like, oh, why uh, do you, yeah, do you like so much to talk to, to other people and, and hearing their stories and trying to help? And that's when a bit like my turning point, when I started uh, getting trainings in coaching, uh, more maybe psychology focused. And, and yeah, that's a bit how I landed in, in my cur current uh, position. And of course, it does help that I did a PhD myself and that I understand academia and, and uh, research, because then you are also more familiar with the, the, the common problems that scientists um, uh, yeah, experience. Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah. Shall I take over? Um, so I think my story kind of is quite similar to Jordi's story. So I also followed the conventional academic path, uh, did a bachelor in psychobiology, a master in neuroscience, then a PhD uh, in the field of psychiatry and a couple of years of postdocing. But maybe unlike Jordi, I was never really convinced about the scientific path that I uh, took. It was kind of like more out of because I didn't know what to do other than that. Um, and uh, throughout my whole academic path, I actually tried to escape a couple of times. Uh, <laughs> so for instance, <laughs> yes, like half of my uh, PhD, and I'm not uh, actually exaggerating because I think it was about half of my PhD. I was just talking to my fellow PhD students about their uh, problems and issues that they were having and found it much more interesting than uh, the research itself. Uh, and then during my PhD, I also started a coach training because I thought, well, I might as well just try it because I thought it would be uh, interesting and fun and nice to do. And it taught me a lot about myself uh, and about other people. Um, but I didn't really dare to call myself a coach yet then. So I stayed in academia. I started a postdoc, uh, but I also started an intervention group at my department. So then I had my first taste of coaching and then I thought, what the heck, uh, why not start my own company just as a sort of side hustle. So I started C Mandy, which is a company for coaching mindfulness and yoga. 
but still most of my work was about research and then COVID came and the essence of the research, like the work that I was doing became very apparent to me. Um, me sitting behind my computer doing research and I didn't have the, like the distraction from my uh, fellow colleagues. And then I thought I really need to change. So uh, that's why I decided to call myself a coach to actually say out loud what I wanted to coach and guide PhD students. And once I started talking to people, it actually didn't take long before I, uh, I got in this position. Oh, quite a recent change then. Yes. Uh, so I think both Jordi and I are doing it uh, about a year now. Like oh, okay. Yeah. Fun. Now, we know you too, of course, because you are PhD advisors at the Amsterdam UMC Doctoral School, where we are also doing our PhD and we met you guys on one of the events. Now, the Doctoral School, we know, is an organization that supports PhD students throughout their PhD journey and I guess also connects us with the University of Amsterdam and the VU and the AMC, I guess. But for our international listeners, can you shortly explain what the Doctoral School in general does for PhD students in our institution? Sure, I guess I can uh, answer this one and Mandy, of course. Feel free to to jump in. I guess most of the people uh, knows us from the monitoring side eh? because we, of course, have an initial talk with PhD candidates who just recently started and discuss their PhD plan. What do they expect uh, from the PhD and uh, and what courses they uh, want to take, etc. But uh, I would say that our our tasks are divided in in four uh, main uh, core tasks actually. So uh, on the one hand, we have uh, an information platform. Eh? So our responsibility is to keep the PhD candidates informed, uh, not only of the PhD regulations of the university uh, they are affiliated with, but also uh, if there are any uh, relevant changes in their paths or uh, whatever type of uh, subject we find it's relevant for the, for the PhD candidates. We do that through our channels like the website, but also our LinkedIn platform and um, et cetera. Uh, then we have the courses and uh, trainings, core tasks. So we basically organize uh, courses and different trainings uh, which can cover either transferable skills for the PhD candidates, but also more uh, topic-related courses. Because, of course, a PhD should not only be about the research, but also about uh, personal development. And then we also, of course, and that's where Mandy and I play a big role, is the advice, support and coaching. And we do that not only from one-to-one -one conversations or co coaching trajectories, but also, for example, by writing a monthly blog, as Mandy said earlier, about different relevant topics. Uh, also, we organize uh, group coaching with different PhD candidates at the same time where they learn to coach each other also. Um, and the final uh, core task, I would say it's uh, more like the administration side, which is maybe the part that it's more common for many PhD candidates, because I can imagine that if you don't experience uh, any problems during your PhD, which, yeah, it's a bit difficult to ima imagine, but still, then you will only know the, the doctoral school because of our administration task, uh, let's say. So I guess I covered everything that our doctoral school does, which should be very similar for uh, other uh, yeah, graduate schools or doctoral schools uh, around. But uh, maybe I uh, did I forget anything, Mandy? No, I think you've covered it really uh, well, Jordi. And maybe one nice addition would be that uh, we do all of these things uh, because our mission as the doctoral school is really to improve um, the PhD projects at the Amsterdam UMC and um, also improve well-being for PhD candidates. 
Yeah, nice. Yeah, I I forgot, of course, about the all the classes that you guys give because it's a bit different in other countries. I think where it's way more connected to a university, where you still go to university classes, and with us that's not the case. But then uh, the doc- doctor schools um, still has classes for us. Yeah, mm-hmm. indeed. Well, and I guess you as uh, PhD advisors are the go-to people for uh, the do- for us at the doctoral school for support, coaching, and advice for well PhD candidates. But of course, that must be a very interesting job to have. You get to see all these PhD students, and and if you have to name exactly one thing, what do you actually love the most about doing about being the PhD advisors? Yeah, I think that's a very uh, very good and very difficult question because it's we can only name one thing and i think both me and jordi we love what we do um but maybe if i can cheat a little bit and name two things that i really love about this job is uh the first part uh making a real connection with people because once uh, i'm in a coach conversation with someone i kind of feel like yeah we're really talking on a very real level about who they are and uh, what they want in life um, and the other thing that I love about this job is the opportunity to be creative. So uh, we get a lot of freedom to do the things that we like, like writing the blog, but also designing uh, workshops that we find interesting for the PhD candidates uh, and giving those workshops. And uh, maybe from my side, uh, I will keep it a bit more selfish, perhaps, because of course <laughs> I love all the things that Mandy mentioned, but uh, I love the fact that not a single day is the same in terms of our tasks and what we do, either in the conversations we have, because we hear many different perspectives and experiences, uh, but also, of course, yeah, in terms of the projects we work on and uh, etc. And secretly, uh, even though I, I mentioned before that I kind of detach myself from from research of course it's very cool that you still get to hear all the the projects people work on and in a way you also feel contributing to the the impact of this research just by uh, ensuring the well-being of the the phd candidates so in a bit more detail what is it like being a phd advisor how would you describe your work how how does your day that everyday difference looks like (laughs) um yeah oh yeah yeah. Do you want to take it, Judy? You can. Uh, yeah. Then and then, please uh, add anything you you think. But I think I would like to take the the work PhD candidate well-being that Mandy mentioned in the previous uh, answer uh, as the central part of our job. And then anything that uh, relates to PhD well-being uh, can be part of our daily tasks. For example, as I mentioned, we uh, have one on one to one conversations with PhD candidates at the beginning of their PhD. We also have, of course, our coaching sessions, either in a group or or, uh, individual uh, coaching trajectories. But maybe something that it's also worth uh, mentioning is that also internally we interact with a lot of different uh, organizations, such as the Works uh, Council, uh, or the naming slot in Dutch, uh, or the PhD Students Association. And perhaps these tasks are more focused or are still focused on well-being but more directed on policy uh, making or policy improving around the PhD uh, candidates. And then, of course, we are also actively organizing uh, workshops such as, for example, a workshop on intercultural communication or effective communication, or we plan to organize uh, soon a workshop on uh, the imposter syndrome. So it's a bit as a, as a podcast like you guys, but then in workshops, so different themes and topics. Yeah, and Mandy, uh, do you want to add anything? I think you've already covered everything, Jordi. But uh, yeah, maybe the one last thing is that we also do a lot with social media. So we um, 
keep up news on a website. Um, we have a LinkedIn channel where we post things and a newsletter. So I think uh, that sums it all up. So if PSDers in the AMC are, are struggling, right, they can also reach out to you guys and talk with you guys. Does that happen a lot? I think more and more, actually. Um, so, yeah, we get a, quite a lot of requests. Uh, still, we hope uh, to get more because we feel like a lot of PhDs are struggling with some kind of problem and the threshold sometimes is still a bit too high because we hear from from the PhD candidates like, well, I'm not sure, doesn't everyone struggle with this? Should I mm -hmm. even go for help? Um, so we really would like to uh, have them know that we are here and that we are here for every problem. Even if you think they're small, I don't think any problem is too small to actually uh, just come up to us and uh, ask for a listening ear. Yes. And uh, maybe to add on your question, Suzanne, also, um, uh, and because the struggling scientists, they, they like numbers. And in uh, our doctoral school, there are at this uh, moment around 3000 PhD candidates affiliated. Um, and I believe that around a 10% of that comes to us, come to us to, to talk about their, their problems. So about uh, per year, I would say something like that. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, uh, that's, that's a big number of uh, people or yeah, a large number of people. Yeah. Now I actually had another question. So you guys have on your website, that you're very much about uh, helping the supervisor and the PhD students on their way through the PhD. Do supervisors also sometimes reach out for help? Shall I take this one? It's a difficult yeah. one, I think. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. So uh, indeed, we uh, really want to advert, advertise actually that we are also there for uh, supervisors. Um, sometimes we do get requests like supervisors who are having trouble with a PhD student or yeah, would like to have some advice or help. But um, I think we are still expanding uh, that um, part of what we do. And um, yeah, so I do feel like uh, a lot more supervisors or a lot more people could uh, come and find us yes. um, than they do now. Yeah. Okay. Do you want to add something to that, Jordi? Mm, I, not, not really, but maybe it's also worth uh, saying that, of course, uh, because we are PhD advisors, we focus on the PhD yeah, students. Yeah, yeah, of uh, course, of course. But uh, maybe it's good to mention that there are also uh, courses for supervisors that we tend to advertise, which uh, uh, on how to be a better supervisor or what's important. And we hope, of course, that all supervisors uh, would follow such a course. But uh, unfortunately, that's not yet the case. <laughs> but, uh, who knows in the future? But it would actually be interesting also for maybe even PhD students, because I have had multiple um, master students that I have supervised. And sometimes that can be difficult <laughs> because you really don't know what you're doing in the beginning. <laughs> no, it feels as if uh, being able to teach or supervise uh, students uh, should come by default by being a scientist or that's what they think. Yeah, no. But, uh, but no, it doesn't indeed. Yeah. <laughs> that's a whole separate skill. Yes. Yeah. Definitely. So do you know if having a, a doctoral school with PhD support and coaching is something common for a lot of universities or is it something that's more specific to the Netherlands or you know, how is that like? Um, so I do believe that there are quite some doctoral schools, um, but well, don't want to sound arrogant, but I think uh, we are the biggest one maybe in the Netherlands. And if someone is listening now and thinks, well, no, we have a really cool big doctoral school somewhere, please reach out to us because we are always looking for collaboration and uh, also for advice. 
Yeah, so I think we are the biggest and um, I think doctoral schools are also there throughout Europe. So um, Jordi and I, we attended like a conference for PhD trajectories or like the PhD system um, in Europe. And we know that there's quite some doctoral schools around Europe, at least. And uh, we were quite impressed by the ones that were in Sweden, I think. Mm -hmm. Um, so they have a really good doctoral system there, and uh, I believe that we can learn a lot uh, from them about um, how to uh, to do it here as well. Yeah, it's of course really important to have somebody to help you outside of your uh, supervisor. Yes. Green. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, so are there any common problems that you see a lot of PhD struggles with when they come to you, and, and how how do you help them? Yeah, good, uh, good question. Here I will get again the scientist in me because we do still uh, analyze uh, our data, our own data. Um, and in this way, we try to find patterns of problems or, or yeah, or common denominators in, in the problems. And in this sense, we have spotted uh, 12 main categories of problems. Uh, okay. <laughs> yeah. And perhaps it's uh, yeah good to mention what the, the top three of these uh, 12 categories is. And uh, in the first place, uh, we spotted problems with supervision. Uh, mm -hmm. Second place, uh, personal problems. So you can think of yeah mental health related problems or yeah family issues, uh, this kind of stuff. And uh, number three is the interference between uh, or in the work-life uh, balance. So that comes from analyzing indeed uh, our conversations and spotting what are the keywords that uh, appear the most uh, on our um, reports. And then that's how we did this uh, analysis. So yeah, there are definitely uh, problems or common problems or patterns of problems, yeah. Yeah, I can imagine the supervising also being, being uh, difficult. We have also uh, in the past in our episodes talked about this, how important it is to find a supervisor that fits with you and how incredibly difficult it is to base that on one application process yeah. a couple of a couple of interviews <laughs> and then you have to say yes or no and then ah <laughs> yes yes indeed yeah but also that you can come back to it i think like if uh, something in your supervision doesn't work out the way you want to or if there's expectations that are not met um i think it's just very important to communicate about that and then see if you can have like that open and honest conversation with your supervisor um and uh, just see if you can make things better mm -hmm. yeah but of course you're always working with personalities that might clash a bit yeah no. true true so some kind of well, acceptance and resilience, mm -hmm. I think, is also always a very uh, good trait to work on. I think work-life balance is also a very interesting one, because I think we have just accepted that there, there's no such thing in a PhD, but there should be, <laughs> of course. <laughs> so what kind of yeah. advice would you, would you give to somebody struggling with that? Yeah, that's, uh, again, a very good question. I think it, it, normally it comes because of certain um, convictions that the, the the PhD candidates have about what a PhD should be. Yeah, indeed, you said uh, there, there's no such thing as work-life balance in a PhD. And of course, sometimes it all gives you signs that that's the case because uh, you need to, to deliver certain uh, or write certain papers and, and achieve certain goals. Um, but I think the advice I would give um, is first of all, talk about it in an open and honest conversation, not directly perhaps to your supervisor, but with friends, uh, with us. Um, just uh, start by talking openly about that. 
and also uh, be critical about uh, your uh, current situation and, and, and your expectations. Reflect, uh, reflect upon what you want to achieve within your PhD and um, yeah, maybe uh, take it as a, a regular habit to, to consider what goes well and uh, what uh, doesn't go that well. And in the, in the sense of work-life balance also like, why uh, am I feeling this way? And with this pressure um, that I cannot do everything at the same time, and then the later part will be seeking for the specific solutions. But it all starts by openly having these reflection moments with yourself and also openly talking about that, especially with people that can really give a, a completely different perspective to your situation. Uh, then that, that yeah, might uh, really help because uh, then, uh, then it's when creativity comes, uh, takes in and, and nice solution can be uh, thought together. Yeah. We are very excited to be able to introduce you to our new sponsor, Jenny AI. Not only does Jenny make our podcast possible, it also makes our life as scientists so much easier. Jenny is an all-in-one writing assistant that has everything that we have been missing in other AI tools. Yes, first off, unlike other AI tools, it actually finds accurate information in papers and cites its sources. It does not make things up and only uses real verified information that you can then also check the source of. Second, it's a writing assistant trained for academic papers and helps you write your paper by suggesting the next sentence or the end of your sentence. Or, if you get really stuck, you can ask it to write an entire paragraph, completely removing the writer's block I so often struggle with when I don't know the right words to make my point. It helped me write an introduction to a paper I've been struggling with in half an hour. It even suggests which papers to cite. You can add your own library or search the entire internet for papers, just type the add symbol to easily add a reference and it gets automatically added to the reference list. And the last thing we absolutely love is that it has an AI chatbot that can see your document and give feedback on how to improve your manuscript. Or you can ask it questions, such as what are the potential therapeutic benefits of dot dot dot, and it will search through the papers for you for the answer. I can only say that my stress level has gone down significantly since I started using Jenny. Check out the free version now at thestrugglingscientist.com slash Jenny. And if you love it, use the code SCIENCE20 for a 20% discount. Yes, I totally agree with you as always, Jordi. Um, <laughs> yes, so uh, I agree. I think also um, with work-life balance, it's really about setting priorities. Like what do you find most important indeed in, within your PhD, but also um, sometimes I feel like these priorities are a bit uh, skewed as in that we place work above our own health and uh, above our own mental health. And um, I think that's a conversation worth having if you really feel like uh, work is more important than your um, personal affairs or your personal state of mind. Yes. Yeah, I think PhD students in general are quite hard on themselves also. <laughs> yes. yes, very Definitely. ambitious. Yes. <laughs> yeah, but I also think to a certain extent, it's depending on which stage, of course, I guess maybe you are in your PhD that you sort of maybe think one more year, I can sort of put my mental health back for one year and then I'll be done mm -hmm. or something along those lines. Yeah, I don't know if you maybe yeah. encounter that uh, a little bit. Yeah, yes, uh, I think that happens a lot so that people think like, well, I can stick it out for one more year or even four more years <laughs> because your PhD usually takes that long. But then I think, well, one year or four years is really a long time. Um, it's a long time to uh, give a lot of energy and not getting uh, something back. So then the burnout is really, um, yeah, one of the risks that you can run. And I kind of feel, I mean, I'm, 
I'm very into mindfulness, so I kind of feel like the here and the now is very important. So, yeah, that feeling that if you just struggle through or suffer for one or a couple of more years, um, I don't think that is healthy for anyone. So uh, I'd rather have you uh, think about, like, what can you do here and now to make things better, to uh, feel OK and to be OK with yourself. And for AMC, PhD students, of course, reach out to you guys. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So I was just wondering, can we also ask questions to you? Of course. Yeah, sure. yeah. so uh, how is that for you, like the work-life balance? Did you really feel um, that that was an issue during your PhD? Um, well, I, I guess I also, it depends a bit on what you want, right? What you want your work-life balance to be. And I have a PI that does email me in the evening but i also email him back in the evening <laughs> so uh in terms of for me it it hasn't been really a struggle and i think it's also really great that we do have the time to make this podcast next to it and do things next to mm -hmm. it so i think we're actually really doing quite well in balancing it out but in the end uh with the podcast and everything most of our times goes into science because we also have these other science related things that we do afterwards so it is a lot <laughs> but it's also a lot of fun so yeah. Uh, uh yeah i'm still happy with it yeah and maybe to sort of continue on what suzanne said uh, i'm also very happy with it in terms of uh i think i would be struggling more if we didn't have the podcast and didn't have other things also going on that i didn't have because with the phd every now and then you have experiments that don't work and if they don't work for a while you're in sort of that uh i wouldn't downward I wouldn't, spiral yes the valley mm -hmm. uh, essentially that things aren't working and you're trying hard and you're spending a lot of time on that but I think for me, with having the podcast with Suzanne, uh, but also focusing on my running as well, I have other things to also, yeah, keep me energized and keep me happy as well. So I try to balance it out like that. Yeah. yeah. And I think for us also, uh, we started the podcast also to sort of get some enthusiasm back for the science, I guess. Mm -hmm. uh, because Very good so, idea. Yeah. Sometimes it can be really hard to lose sight of how fun it is to also look into all these other topics that are also out there because you're so focused on your one little topic. And uh, we really enjoy making this podcast and, for example, learning about if cold showers are healthy or not and then <laughs> making an episode about it. Yeah. It does take a tremendous amount of time to read about it and to make it and to do the editing and everything. But it's so much fun that it's uh, really oh, rewarding. Yeah. And then you also see that people enjoy it and that we get comments about it and it's so much fun. So, uh, yeah. Oh, really glad to hear that. But I think, uh, I mean, great to hear that the both of you have found such a good way to balance work and life. And yes. I think what you both said is actually very right. Like it's not about having a lot to do or working hard, but it's really about doing the things that give you energy and that you like as well. Uh, because you can work hard, but if you like the work that you're doing and if you're behind it and if you feel like, well, this is giving me a lot of energy, then um, that's fine. But once it really drains you and you kind of feel like, okay, so I'm only working and I don't do anything, then I think it becomes a problem. Yeah, I think also for a lot of PhD students in the beginning, you start so energized on your project and then on, uh, so at some point you notice that your project either isn't going so well or it just takes a long time or you end up with writing which i do not enjoy as much <laughs> but it has to happen too you know uh, yes. then it's really good to have something next to it that does get yeah. you a lot of energy so yeah. i still enjoy the phd a lot though so that also helps oh, that's good um do you ever wish that people would reach out to you sooner we already discussed it a little bit but 
uh, what kind of situations do you wish PhD students would reach out to to you or other advisors in their institutions? Yeah, it's fun that you mentioned that because um, uh, that you just mentioned that after a while, uh, when you started your PhD, you realize that perhaps things are not going as you thought. And that has a, a name. Actually, there are, there's research on that and it's called the, the PhD dip. It's not very original, but it uh, turns to happen uh, after around two years. That's quite precise. And of course, it has to do in that indeed with uh, the coming to terms with the reality. And uh, mm. oh, maybe uh, at this point, I expected to have already two papers published and I have none. Um, and funnily enough, uh, what we see uh, at the doctoral school is that people tend to come to us uh, also mostly after two years uh, having started their PhDs and also the largest number of PhD who terminate, uh, PhD candidates who terminate their, their trajectories that also happens at the end of the second year. So mm -hmm. there seems to be a, a correlation in, in after two years. Uh, so to answer to your question, yes, we definitely would hope that people would come to us earlier. And um, I think um, why or for what uh, problems I think, or in what kind of situations, I would say in general to try to avoid the, the snowball effect, eh? that uh, things that can be discussed and, and prevented, they just become larger and larger. And I think that's what's nice from the combination of Mandy and I is that Mandy is more really uh, into mindfulness and the now and the present. And uh, I'm more interested perhaps in effective communication and discussing with your supervisors what you really want to get out of your own PhD and setting your boundaries. Of course, we both tackle these problems, PhDs, but maybe the strategies that we use in our coaching uh, methods are, are slightly different. So yeah, I would say anything uh, they think it's a problem at the beginning will probably continue to be a problem uh, later on if nothing gets changed. So please come to us if you, if you <laughs> just started and you see that something has big chance of going uh, wrong. So yeah. Do you also offer uh, help with in how to communicate with your supervisor, for example? Yes, yeah, definitely. So uh, once uh, it becomes apparent that that is the problem, then we're working uh, together with the PhD candidates to to tackle that. So um, we have this method called the 4G model. Um, it's kind of about giving feedback and um, nonviolent communication. Um, and uh, sometimes we also practice these conversations with the PhD candidates. If they find it very uh, scary to do, for example, then we uh, just practice this conversation like, what do you want to say? And uh, what do you expect from your supervisors? Um, yeah, like that. Hmm. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, something useful, you would useful. like to uh, discuss, Suzanne? <laughs> no, I have to say, I, I am so lucky with my supervisor. I, I sometimes oh, even feel guilty about it. <laughs> Oh, oh, why? But, uh, yeah, no. You should be just very happy, right? You know, I have to say, though, um, we have also even made an episode about it, about how I love my PhD. Uh, mm. And we also on Twitter see it come by sometimes that if you are actually happy with your PhD, you sort of feel guilty about it because there are so many people that are not happy with their PhD. Mm. And especially also on Twitter, we sometimes see it come by, like, it's a really unpopular opinion, but I've been so happy today. <laughs> and I really wish that people would also mention the good things a bit more. So, yeah. 
kind of like survivor's guilt almost. Yes. <laughs> like, yeah. I'm having it so well. And, yeah, but other people are struggling. Yeah. Since Mandy and I are often hearing like the problems of the PhD and, and it, it turns out Suzanne is really enjoying her PhD. <laughs> yeah. I would like to ask her uh, and maybe Jaron, what do you enjoy the most in your PhD actually uh, besides maybe your PhD research topic, which I assume that you, you do enjoy it as well? But what would you say it's the thing that makes you excited in the morning when you know you are going to the lab or to the AMC? Um, I can still get really happy when an experiment is actually working out and, and showing something interesting. And I'm also really blessed that I'm now working on a project that I really discovered myself. Uh, and that just gives me a lot of energy that I'm doing that. And my supervisor can also just like bounce around happy if an experiment works out so that that works really well actually <laughs> nice great to hear yes yeah and for me i would say it's learning so uh, i really like learning about new so my projects tend to vary quite a bit everything from diabetes to a little bit of obesity to more the cardiovascular stuff so i really like learning about all of that and how it's all connected uh, but obviously i like also the people they're quite amazing like you learn to do so much during the phd when I entered the PhD, I had a very sort of limited mindset of like, I, I need to know how to do everything, but you just learn everything along the way. And yeah, now we're doing a podcast. I, I've ran a marathon. I've just learned how to get better at stuff. And I always think given enough time, you can learn and get better and improve. And while I may not be able to do something right now, I'll I'll figure it out. Yeah, I think that's one of the major skills that a PhD teaches you, that you can teach yourself anything and yeah. that you can be good at it at some point <laughs> if you just yeah, put your mind good. to it. And like, yeah. Yeah, your PhD is kind of like your playing ground mm -hmm. where you can experiment and learn and grow. Mm. It's a really great attitude. Yes. Are there things you think people don't know about PhD advisors that you wish they did? <laughs> well, I think that there are definitely some stigmas and maybe Mandy has another view, but I think um, a lot of people still see us are, as yeah, officers uh, who belong to the institution and, and have a secret uh, ag uh, agenda, <laughs> hidden agenda. And maybe what they should or I would like them to know is that we are basically on, on your side or on their side, on the side of the PhD candidates. Um, and we should be very accessible with a low energy barrier to come to us. And uh, our only goal is to, to, yeah, to focus on the well-being of PhD and also because we ourselves have been there. So maybe just remove the, the institutional stigmas around the, the figure of the PhD advisor, I would say. But Mandy. Yeah, yeah. So um, I just wanted to add to that. Well, this is not really about PhD advices in general, but I think particularly about Jordi and I. Um, I think we are not just advisors. Uh, so we do not just provide people with information and answers about pragmatic questions, um, but we really try to uh, to be coaches uh, in our work and to encourage people to become aware and to empower them to make their own choices. So. Yeah, I heard from uh, from a PhD student at one point, like, oh, I didn't know that you were so qualified uh, to do all these things. <laughs> and uh, that she found it a pity because she uh, she could have used help a long time ago. Um, so, yeah, just uh, for at least the PhD students at Amsterdam UMC um, know that we are there too for for really like the coaching problems or the problems that could use coaching more than just advice. 
does that coaching also sort of extend a little bit sort of beyond the PhD? Because both of you also have mm -hmm. uh, done a postdoc and started companies or worked in industry. So does that sort of also go beyond the PhD a little bit? Yeah, definitely. Uh, in principle, we don't set boundaries on the topics, of course, that people want to be coached uh, on because we believe that anything they want to work on while they are doing their PhD uh, has an impact on the PhD itself. So therefore, uh, and we would be very poor coaches if we would say, no, you can only talk about uh, <laughs> us about uh, your supervisor, for example. So definitely, I think uh, often also uh, topics that uh, we discuss or we coach people on are um, more directed in, yeah, in insecurities that they have or uh, for in general in, in life or also some people struggle with, with their career options after the PhD. I guess that's also something that uh, a question that at some point, of course, uh, comes uh, to any PhD candidate. So, yeah, and I think that's a bit what makes the difference between uh, advising and coaching, because basically we can give advice about uh, kind of things that they are set on stone, but uh, we can only coach people that they want to improve some aspect of their life, whatever that is, um, and without any uh, restrictions indeed. Yeah. Nice. Um, do you think there are big differences between the problems that PhDs in the Netherlands face and PhDs abroad? So I actually think there's not a big difference, um, especially if you look at the top three of topics that we, uh, or Jordi just mentioned, like um, communication with supervisors, personal problems related to stress or mental health, uh, work-life balance, I think these are problems that occur in any country, in any PhD, yeah. uh, maybe in general in any person's life, to be honest. Um, yeah, so uh, I actually don't think that uh, it's very specific to the Netherlands and that these problems are quite universal and probably, well, I wouldn't be surprised that if uh, we heard from other countries, like what are the most uh, mentioned problems that the, the same top three, uh, top three, the same top three, that's a very difficult sentence, uh, would actually come up. Yeah, that makes sense, actually. <laughs> <laughs> but maybe I would like to uh, mention an interesting fact, and that is uh, there is a difference uh, when there are crowds of international uh, PG students from different countries together. Uh, the problems still remain the, sa the, sa the same, but then there are other dimensions to the problems, like, for example, the different cultures, how they communicate with each other. Um, for example, uh, I came from, from Barcelona to the Netherlands, and I was never used to the Dutch directness of saying things. So, uh, for example, giving feedback to each other, that's something that goes very differently in for someone in the Netherlands, or if you have a Dutch supervisor giving feedback to, to you, or a Spanish supervisor giving feedback to, to you, that can go uh, very different, and, and how you interpret this feedback can also lead to misunderstandings, actually, if you are not used mm -hmm. to that. So the problems are the same, but there can be uh, cultural differences, for example, and maybe other differences that can add other layers of complexity to these problems. I can imagine, yeah. Now, maybe to round it up a little bit, uh, if there was one piece of advice you'd give every PhD student in the Netherlands or abroad, what would it be? So this is such a charged question. <laughs> uh, but um, yeah, for me, it's, uh, well, I think it's summarized in the phrase that you do a PhD, but you're not your PhD. 
Um, so Jordi and I, we speak to people who uh, tend to identify themselves and their self-worth by, by the work that they're doing. And then if something goes wrong, I think like what you mentioned, uh, Jaron, um, it really feels like your whole world is collapsing if you just focus on the one thing. Um, so my advice would be take some healthy distance um, and know that you are so much more than your PhD. Um, and then in that way, your PhD be can become a very valuable addition to your life um, instead of um, a definition of who you are. Yeah, Jordan. from my side, uh, <laughs> maybe what I would add to, to this, uh, which I fully support, is that, yeah, I see a lot of importance to these uh, reflection moments. And I, and I know from myself that uh, sometimes in the PhD, you are so busy with your research and also if you do activities uh, outside that it's it's yeah it's it's hard to find these moments to think about uh what goes well what not and how you want it uh you would want it otherwise so try to find this uh this reflection uh moments because once you've had this honest conversation with yourself uh it is really really uh, much easier to to find and discuss uh, and implement changes in your um in your track Good advice. Both. <laughs> um, yeah, to think about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I will. I will consider this. <laughs> um, so the blog that you are writing on the doctor school website is that also uh, reachable for people outside of the doctor school? Yes. Uh, so it's just placed on our website, and that website you can reach from from anywhere actually, and also our LinkedIn page. So um, yeah, everyone can find it. Everyone can read it. Please do. And it's just uh, on the the doctorschool.nl. Yeah, that's a difficult one <laughs> because I think uh, the, our email or like the the uh, web page is not so easily found but if you would type in in google doctoral school amsterdam umc you will find it and either linkedin that's probably also just doctoral school amc or amc or something like that uh, yes doctoral school amsterdam umc or amsterdam umc doctoral school okay well that might be nice for people to be able to find it um thank you so much for joining us in our podcast it was a lot of fun i hope you guys had fun too yeah definitely. Um, thank you so much Thanks. Yes. <laughs> Was it everything you wanted to be? <laughs> You're regretting your choice now. <laughs> uh, no, not at all. Actually, uh, uh, I found it just very low-key, very uh, nice just to talk with the two of you. Um, and um, yeah, I think at some point, well, kind of forgot that it was being recorded. So ah, that's good. a good thing. Good. Yeah. Okay. Well, then to uh, close things off, uh, our listeners can reach us on our, either our email address, thestrugglingscientist at hotmail.com or our website, thestrugglingscientist.com. And you can also find us on social media. Jaron, what were they again? Yes, Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram. Yeah, pretty sure I'm not forgetting anything. Well, we're also on Pinterest now, but I'm oh, not yeah. sure how interesting yeah. that is. <laughs> Soon for merch. <laughs> yes. Okay. Well, thank you all for listening and I uh, hope to see you all next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.